0: I know that today is about those who have lost their lives. This weekend is about those who have lost their lives um, for our country. But I also don't want to pass up the opportunity to acknowledge people who are serving or who have served either. So if you have served in the military or are serving, would you stand just for a minute just so we can go, Yeah, come on, come on. I know there's more of you. Come on. Okay, all right. Okay. Thanks. We, um, I, I, we appreciate your service, so thanks. Um, you know, we, we, we enjoy what we enjoy because people were willing to volunteer or be voluntold, depending on what, uh, uh, what era you were uh, serving in. This morning, I want to break a little bit from Thessalonians and, and talk about Memorial Day. I want to talk about some things that I think will help us. One of the issues we're going to deal with this morning might be a little difficult for some of you, but I think it will be helpful for you. So it's something I've been wanting to do for a couple of months. I didn't know how to fit it in. And then as I was going through this morning, uh, going through the service, I thought, you know, this will be a good time. So um, we're going to dive into it a little bit. There are three things that we do on Memorial Day, there are three purposes or, or, or ideas behind it. One is that we mourn, a second is that we remember, and a third is that we honor and that 's kind of where we 're going this morning is the idea of looking at these issues from a Bible perspective, the idea of mourning, the idea of remembering, and the idea of honoring. so i 'm going to pull out a couple of passages for us to look at and, and kind of deal with each one of those principles. <clears throat> and the first principle is mourning. Um, on Memorial Day, we mourn. <clears throat> we mourn the loss of people who gave their lives for our country. Um, Jesus, when he was teaching, Matthew said this. Uh, when he was teaching that famous passage about the Beatitudes, it's a really important passage because it, it's something that sometimes we overlook, but here's what he says in Matthew chapter 5. Um, Blessed are those who mourn. And I don't miss the last part of that. And what's the last part of that say? For they should be comforted. Mourning is a necessary part of being comforted. They're tied together. And I think when we talk about losing somebody, when we talk about losing somebody who is important to us, we're in a culture where we kind of have gotten away from this idea of mourning. And and for some reason in our culture... We we make it. We try to make it as quick and painless as possible, and so our services are very short. I mean, you know, in most cultures, mourning. I remember when we were supporting Anna Loman and her, um, her I think it was her dad who passed away in Yugoslavia, Serbia, where she was serving, and she was from Yugoslavia, Serbia. The period of mourning for her was a year, and for a year she had to wear. Uh, black clothing for years she had to be a mourning for her dad you know we're in a culture where we we don't we kind of minimize the mourning part of it but I, I i'm here to say this morning that it's a necessary part of life we grieve and and one of the things that i think a lot of people struggle with is they, they've never dealt with uh grieving in a healthy way they never learned to mourn in a healthy way And so often, when people start mourning, they go through a time of mourning because of a loss, and it might be, you know, not necessarily a person; it might be a job, it might be a career, it might be your health. It might be there's all kinds of things that we mourn. But we're in a culture where we tend to make it very quick, Um, and that might be okay. But it's not okay to not mourn, because Jesus taught. Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And I think that's an important part. And I think some, one of the reasons some of you have struggled with the loss that you've had is because you've never properly mourned it. You've never properly grieved. I know for me as a pastor, this was one of my toughest struggles early in the ministry. Because when you get close to people, and, and then you do a funeral for them, during the funeral, you can't really grieve and mourn. Because if you lose it, everybody's going to lose it. So you have to have this somewhat detachment during the service. And, and when I started out in ministry, I would do that, and then I would get to a point where it would build up and build up and build up, and, and, and it was a real struggle for me. And so I, I, I had to learn healthy ways to be able to grieve the loss of someone. And I had to do it in a non-public way. So for me, it became very, very important that I, that I set up ways for me to grieve loss. And um, I, I think it's important for us to understand grief a little bit. Um, I have, for the last two months, I've been wanting to do this. And I would love to take the whole service and do this, but I think it would just be too hard. So I'm going to take a rabbit trail for a minute and um, touch on this and then go? I think one of the things as believers that we have got to wrestle with is this idea of a theology of life and death. I, I think it's something we don't think a lot about, but I think what happens is when we come to death or we come to the loss of somebody or something, what happens is we don't have a good theology behind us to help us through it. And so one of the things that's helped me is to kind of come up with this idea of what does the Bible say about life and death and keep that in the back of my mind when I'm dealing with loss, when I'm learning to mourn, when I'm dealing with mourning of somebody. And here's just some of the things that I've gathered from my study of the Scriptures. One of them is this idea that I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. And we all say that, but do you genuinely believe that? I mean, do you genuinely realize that today is a gift? You don't know that you have the rest of this afternoon. You don't know that you have tomorrow. You don't know that you have a retirement. You don't know that you have X number of years in front of you. The only thing you know is you have today, period. Anything more than that is a gift for any of us. And you see, what happens for so many of us is, is, is our health goes, goes south or something happens and we look at all the things that we have anticipated having, but the reality of it is we were not guaranteed any of those things. The reality of it is you have today. And I think we forget that. You know, when we're, we're in a culture where people are living longer and longer and longer. I mean, I can't even imagine Vern and Margaret, 72 years A marriage. A marriage. My wife's going to kill me at 50. You know? Um, I mean, 72 years. And you look at it and go, wow, that's awesome. None of us are guaranteed. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. And I think we have to remember that. So, you know, if I go in tomorrow and there's a diagnosis that doesn't look good, here's the bottom line. The only difference between today and tomorrow is tomorrow they're going to tell me, they could tell me what will probably kill me. That's the only difference. You know, the only difference between somebody who goes in, like, the only difference, I used to tell Doug this all the time, Doug, the only difference between you and me, you have colon cancer, they think it will kill you. I can leave here today, and I can go and be in an accident, and you're going to be at my funeral long before I'll ever be at yours. That's the only difference between the two of us. We have an idea of what will probably take your life. We, I don't know anything. And we've got to remember, we have today. By the way, if you live that way, it will help you in the way you treat people. It will help you in the way you treat that spouse. Because the bottom line is, when you walk out of the house to go to work that day, it might be the last day you ever see him. It might be the last day you ever see him. Live with that in mind, that every day is a gift. And I think you live life differently and you face death differently. Okay? A- another idea is this, and, and I want to talk a little bit to the vets in particular in this for a second here. I believe that Scripture teaches that you have, that your days are numbered and that God knows that number. I believe that's what Job says when he says your days are numbered, can't add to them, can't take away. I believe that, we have a, that, that in essence, when I was born, God said, you've got X number of days here. Now I believe there are some situations where that can be added to, and I believe there are situations. Um, I, think, I think the Old Testament teaches that. I think the New Testament teaches the idea that some, you can do things that those days are taken away as well. I think that's what Corinthians taught about the Lord's Supper. But for the most part, God has orchestrated my days. So I think that believes God knows that how I'm going to die and when I'm going to die and where I'm going to die and who's going to be around me when I die. I believe He's sovereign. I believe He's in charge of all of that. Now the reason I say that is because for me, that takes care of a lot of guilt. Because you see... I. Often, and I tell families this when we're at the hospital and somebody's on their deathbed, I tell people, I say, look, you, you need to understand that if we're going to walk away from here tonight and the Lord takes them home, that you've got to be okay with not being here. For five weeks, we were at the hospital every day with Doug. Every day. And we would, I would end every day, every afternoon when we left with, okay, if the Lord calls him home, everybody okay with that today? Yep, 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 okay, let's go. The day that Doug passed away, we had, let, we had been there all morning at the hospital. Our, our routine was we'd take a break in the afternoon, get a bunch of stuff done, and then we'd come back. We hadn't been gone 45 minutes, and he passed away, and nobody was there. Now, I could beat myself up over guilt. But you know what? I don't. You know why? Because God orchestrated it. God could have taken him 45 minutes earlier when we were all there. I've been with families who have sat beside a, uh, a, a loved one for, for a week straight, gone out to go to the bathroom, and they passed away. Look, you have to understand that God is in control of all of that. I've, I, I've talked to enough vets, particularly Vietnam guys, who were like, I don't understand why he was gone and I was left. I don't understand that. It should have been me. And they live with the guilt of, it should have been me, it should have been me. And I try to explain to them look, I believe that there's an appointed time, and the reality of it was that was his day. Whether he was at home in America in a bed, or whether or not he was on a battlefield, that was his day. That was his time. And I just want to share, I just want to challenge you with this idea of really wrestling with this idea of what do you believe about life and death that way? Because so many times I watch people who deal with the guilt of the, the circumstances behind which somebody passed away. Or they deal with this, this idea of, you know, if we would have done this, it would have gone differently. And I think when you struggle with some of this, you, you have to come to those understanding. I understand that when we lose somebody, we always ask the question, why God? I get that. But can I challenge you, when you ask that question, to take it all the way? See, what, what we often do when, 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 when we lose something, or uh, our health, or our li- a life of a loved one, or something like that, we always focus on what we've lost. And we always focus on why, God, why, 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 why? I get that. But take it all the way. Ask yourself why God allowed you to be born in America. Where you're 95% richer than everyone in the world right now. Where 95% of the world lives at a less standard of living than you do. Why did God do that to you? Why did God put you in a country where we have a healthcare system that can diagnose stuff that in most countries kill people? Had Doug been born, my buddy Doug, had Doug been born in any other country in the world, at any other time in history, Doug would have died 25 years ago. So why did God allow us to be born in this time, in this thing, in this thing? Why did God, you know, take it all away. Why did God put you in a country where we have a health care system that can do things that in most countries are impossible? God's been very good to us. And I think we have to remember that, but because what happens is, and this is part of the grieving thing, this is part of mourning, so many times we focus on what we've lost. You know, I'm not trying to be flippant here, but I, my dad passed away about five years ago now. I couldn't tell you the day my dad died. I don't know that date. I have to look it up every time. You know why? I mean, other than my memory's getting bad. You know Why? Because I don't want to focus on my dad's death. That was one day in a life of 70-plus years. I can tell you where he was born. I can tell you what he did in my life. I can tell you about our great memories. I'm not going to focus on the day he died. Why? Because I I, I know that where you put your focus is where your mind and heart and emotions tend to go. And when you focus so much on what you've lost... What happens is often it turns to to depression. And it's very hard to be depressed and appreciate what you have at the same time. So I want to focus instead on on the life that I was allowed to have with my dad because you know what? I deal with a lot of people that didn't have a dad, that weren't allowed to have any time at all. And I've been so, God was so good to give me my dad as long as He did. I could focus on losing my friend this past year. 30-year friendship. Why, God? Why'd you do that? Or I could focus on the fact that, God, you gave me an incredible gift for 30 years, a gift that most people would give anything to have. And, God, you've been so, so good. Does that mean I don't mourn? No, I mourn. I miss him. But I'm grateful for what I had, too. I'm grateful for what I've gotten. I challenge you because I think sometimes we forget this when we, when we deal with the mourning, and part of it becomes that we have to learn to accept what we can't change. You see this in the life of David when he lost his child. Up until his child dies, David is fasting and weeping and, 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 and sackcloth and ashes and doing everything. In fact, when the child passes away, they're afraid to come and talk to David because they go, he's been a basket case. We tell him the child's dead, he's going to go... Overboard! It's going to be ten times worse than it is now. They come to David. They, they don't even. They, 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 David sees them talking and knows what happened. And he comes to him and he goes, "Is the child dead?" And they go, "Yes." And they're going and reluctantly. They go, "Yes." And David goes and he cleans himself up and he says, "Okay, um, bring me, bring me lunch." And they're going, "What? You've been a basket case when that kid was sick." Now that kid is dead and you want to eat? And you know what David says? He says something very, very important about loss. He said, he can't come back to me. I'll go to him. In other words, what David's saying is, I've accepted the fact that he's now gone and I can't do anything about that. But when he was alive, I was going to fight tooth and nail for life. But now that he's gone, I need to go forward with my life. For David, it was a very short process. For some people, it takes a long time, and I get that. But you want to be able to deal with it in a healthy way. You want to be able to focus on what, not what you've lost, but what you've had. Because people in our lives are tremendous gifts. The second principle is that we remember. Um... You know, well, that's what we're going to do tomorrow. You're going to gather at a cemetery and we're going to remember. We're going to remember names. They're going to read off names at the cemetery of people that you don't know, but that people who have died who have served our country. I think it's important when we go tomorrow to the cemetery that you're going to see markers and you're going to see stones. And we have memorials there as a reminder of them because we want to remember. We actually, in our, our country, we take one day to remember. I want to share with you an interesting principle. in, in Josh. It's found in Joshua. It's also found um, in the book of Jeremiah. It's also found in Proverbs. Let me read you the story in Joshua and, and, and explain it to you. Here's what it has. This is the children of Israel. Remember, up until this point, they've been wandering for 40 years in the wilderness. Thousands and thousands and thousands of them have died. They're now getting ready to go into the promised land. And here's what he says. And it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan River, that the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, take for yourselves 12 men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them saying, take for yourselves 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan and from the place wherein your feet, priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and lead them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. So what happened was the Jordan River parted. They all walked across. He said, I want one guy from each tribe. Hey, go grab a, go grab a rock <clears throat> out of the middle of the river before it closes up. Take it all home with you. Then notice what happens next. He goes on. Um, Got it, guys? Then Joshua called 12 men who may have appointed from the children of Israel one man from every tribe. And Joshua said, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan. Each of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the children of Israel, that it may be a sign among you when your children ask in a time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it crossed over the Jordan, and the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones shall be a memorial for the children of Israel forever. Then he goes on. Notice what he does next. And the children of Israel did so just as Joshua commanded and took up twelve stones from the midst of the Jordan as the Lord had spoken to Joshua. According to the number of tribes of the children of Israel and carried them over to the place where they lodged and laid them down. Now here's what's important. Notice next. Then Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place of where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there to this day. So two things happen here when they cross over. Number one, the children of Israel go to the river, and they pick out a stone, they put it up on their shoulder, they, they, they take it over, and they set it up on the dry land. So now there's 12 stones piled there. Joshua takes 12 stones and piles them up in the middle of the river. Now what's going to happen... When the water comes over it, they're going to be covered. So you see two markers. You see a private marker and you see a public marker. The public marker is so that the children of Israel, when you're walking around your kids, you go, Hey, Dad, what's that big pile of stones over there for? The kids can, the, the parents then can use it as an illustration to say, Let me tell you what God did here, son. Let me tell you, honey, what God did here. It was a public thing but the children of Israel also knew that in the middle of that river were 12 private stones. So there was something that was private that was shared just with that group and then there was something that was public that was to be shared with everyone. I want to challenge you with this idea because you see it in Jeremiah or you see it in um, Jeremiah when they talk about marking things you see it in Proverbs when it talks about removing not the agent landmark um, one of the things that they would do in the Old Testament is when you, you, you know how we have uh, surveyors come out and put stakes in, you know, and then they come out with a little metal thing to find the stake in your property? Here's how they did it in the Old Testament. So let's say Phil's my neighbor, and, and, and we wanna, we don't, we're not going to put up a fence. We're going to put up a marker to know where my property is and his property is. So here's what we would do. I would go out, and I would dig a hole, and I would bury, often they would take a deed, and they would put it in a jar or something like that, and they would bury it on the ground and cover it over. And then they'd put a big pile of rocks over top. They were called ancient landmarks. So then Phil would get up in the morning, and he'd look at that marker, and I would look at the marker, and we'd know, okay, Phil, that's your property, that's my property. Now, let's say I was a pagan, and I wanted to get more land than Phil had. So here's what I would do. At night, while he was sleeping, I'd go out, and move the markers over 20 or 30 feet. And then I'd let that go for a while, and then a little bit later, I'd pick. I'd go up in the middle of the night, and I'd move it over a little more. And Phil's going, looks like my land's getting smaller. And I'm going, you know, hey, look, that's where the marker is. What we could do is we could move the stones out of the way and dig down and find out whether or not that was my land or your land. There was a private deal and there was a public deal. It's important, I think, when we're dealing with loss and when we're dealing with remembering, here's something that helped me as a pastor. I started doing things that were public, so often when I would do somebody's service or something like that, that was kind of a public thing. And then I started doing things privately. Things that were just between me or between me and a very, very small select group. So, again, I'm going back to my loss this past year with Doug. Um, I made the urn that we put Doug's ashes in. Um, That was a way for me to remember and uh, remember him. Later, I wanted to do something a little bit more personal just for me. So I spent about three to four months making a stained glass window for my office. What a lot of people may not understand is that was the first window I've done myself in almost 30 years. If you go into my office and you look at my office, you'll see that it's of a pheasant flying off in a direction. The reason I did that is one of the first things Doug and I did together was pheasant hunt. And I thought the idea of a pheasant flying away off into the sunset was a great reminder of the 30 years that we had together. That was a thing that I shared with, now I've shared it with you, but I mean I shared it with my family. Um, I. It's a reminder and a way to remember him every time I walk into my office. It's not about my loss. It's about the great times that we had together. I have one more private thing that I'm going to do. Um, and it's just between me and God. There's one more private thing that I want to do that will help me as I walk through that process of of loss. There's public stuff, but there's private stuff. And I want to challenge you because, you know, some of you, part of the reason that grief is so hard for you right now is you haven't figured out a way to have that private thing and maybe even that public thing. And, And I want to challenge you because it's one of the ways that we remember. It's one of the ways that we we do that as a way to honor them tomorrow you're going to see all of the public reminders you know you have to realize that every stone you walk by represents a family and a life and a whole bunch of stuff but all you're going to see is a date and a dash but there's so much more than that and I want to challenge you along these ideas too God has given you an incredible gift in allowing that person to be a part of your life. Uh, In my case, it was Doug. My granddaughter will never meet Doug. Ever. As ironic as this is, if you know anything about our family, you know that pictures, we take pictures of everything. I don't think there's ten pictures in existence of Doug and I. We just never took pictures of us. So she really won't even see a lot of pictures of Doug. But she will know. A guy by the name of Doug that for 30 years was her grandpa's best friend. And she will hear the stories of what we did together. And she will not hear some of them. Um, And she will grow up knowing about Doug. Because you see, here's where a lot of us drop the ball. God gives us these incredible gifts of these people in our lives. And because it's hard and because it's difficult, we don't talk about it. Here's the danger with that. The danger with that is then that a legacy dies with you. Doug's legacy is going to go far past me. Because my granddaughter is going to know about him one day, maybe she'll tell a story or two about my granddad and this guy named Doug. Because there's a lot of things that we shared over the years. One of the ways of remembering is to be able to share with people what that person meant in your life, what that person was to your life, what that person did in your life. And I know it's painful. I'm not, I'm not saying. When I talk about Doug, it's painful. Okay? Because it's a reminder of what I've lost. But I try to focus on what I had. And what I got to enjoy. And what I got to appreciate and value. That's a way that I can remember them. And it's also a way, it takes it to my last point, it's a way that I can honor them. Romans says it this way. He said, uh, Paul, is that Romans that I got? Um, Throw that one up there. Yeah, Romans. Um, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor to what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love. In honor. Giving preference to one another. One of the things that we do is we honor them. Tomorrow, we're going to, most places cancel work. We're going to celebrate. We're going to remember. We're going to honor the lives of people who gave their lives. When you honor something, you talk about it differently, you treat it differently. When you honor something, you think about it differently. those people that you have lost, those circumstances that you have struggled with, we could turn them into things of honor. Tomorrow, we're going to honor the sacrifice of men and women all over this country. How do we do that? We make tomorrow different. We make it special. We make it unique. So we'll do things tomorrow that we don't normally do in the week. How can I do that with people that I have lost? Doug's case, I can honor him by making a window. I can honor him by telling my granddaughter about him. I can honor him about sharing stories. We think about it differently. We talk about it differently. We treat it differently. The Bible says, and we're talking about this in Sunday school, it's the idea of loving and honoring other, everyone around us. That's how the world's going to know that we're different is the way that we honor and love one another. So I just, I, I just want to challenge you because I know some of you are really struggling. Some of you have had a, a difficult loss or you, you're dealing with a difficult thing and, and you're bumped up against it and you've got a lot of questions. I get all of that. I'm not minimizing any of that. But I will say, one of the things that we have to learn, and, and you know, the reason this message is so hard for me is because of the stories in this church. The amount of loss represented in this congregation is overwhelming from a pastor's perspective. And when I talk to other pastors and I go through the congregation, I go, Yeah, we've got X number of people that have lost children. We've got X number of people that have dealt with this or lost parents or parents who have buried kids or or who have struggled with this diagnosis or that diagnosis. I go through the fact that I was a youth pastor for six years and never buried any teenagers. I was at camp work three years before that, working with teenagers for nine years, never buried any teenager at all. Came here and buried two kids within six months. And I look at it and I go, so so I am not trying to minimize grief. I'm not trying to say this is easy. I'm not. But I am saying this. I am saying we have to learn healthy ways to mourn. We have to learn ways to remember. And we need to learn ways to honor. And in that case, in that situation, even though our losses are difficult, even though they are hard, their legacy lives on. We appreciate what we got to have, and we share it with others. And we make today count. So I challenge you with this. I end with this. This week, we've got to learn to accept what we can't change. And we need to remember and treasure that which we have been given. We focus on what we have not what we have lost. And we remember and honor the lives that touched our life. Amen, Claire? Let's pray. Lord, thanks. God, it is so hard to talk about this. Because, Lord, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is tough living because... Lord, we all have expectations of life. We all have expectations of the way that we think things should be. And yet, Lord, we understand that that you have come so that we can have life and have life abundantly, even in the midst of hardship. Lord, in a few moments, we're going to remember and honor and mourn your death for us, your resurrection from the tomb, and the fact, Lord, that you gave your life for us. So, Lord, help us to honor you this week as we deal with our loss, as we deal with our struggles, and as we deal with your sacrifice. That, Lord, people would see Christ in all we do and that you would guide us, Lord, to be a light in a very difficult, dark world sometimes. These things we ask in your name. Amen.